Hey, our passage this morning is from uh, the book of First John. If you want to turn there, First John chapter 4, it's on page 1022. If you grab the Pew Bible, if you grab your Bible, I cannot tell you what page it's on, but it's uh, 1020, actually 1023, I apologize, in that Pew Bible. We're going to read First John chapter 4, verses 16 to 19. The Word of the Lord. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we are in this world. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, Gary, would you come up here and take care of us? Hey, it's good to have you here. Thank you. Thanks. You get to say hi. Good morning, y'all. Great to be here. Privileged to, um, I think most of you know uh, that uh, Jason and Melissa and the boys have moved into their house officially. Um, I was asking uh, Nate and Bryce how it felt to have their own room, and I think they're okay with that. Is that all right? Yeah, they're okay with that. So uh, have the privilege of uh, giving him a break and uh, as they get settled in their new home and filling in this morning. So. Um, and Steve, welcome. Is Steve still in the room? Gee <laughs> 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 whiz. Welcome. Look forward to getting to know you too, brother. Uh, you know, every one of us has had people that, that affect our lives, that, um, that have influenced us in a good way, maybe even in a profound way. Um, and I've been blessed uh, to have several people like that, three that come to my mind specifically. But uh, one in particular, his name was uh, Dr. Earl Rodmacher. And Dr. Rodmacher was uh, for many years, president of Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. And he used to tell us the story of when he was a chaplain in the Navy. Uh, he talk, was talking to a friend of his, and the friend says, hey, we're going to have this exercise in the pool, whatever. He goes, why don't you come down and join us? We'll swim some, swim some laps. And Dr. Rodmacher grabs him and pulls him aside. He says, hey, Tom, he said, I hate to tell you this, but I don't know how to swim. He said, you're a chaplain in the United States Navy, and you don't know how to swim? <laughs> He said, I really don't. I just never learned how to swim. He goes, well, look, we got to take care of that before something embarrassing happens. So he said, look, meet me in the pool, uh, the camp or the base pool this coming Saturday at such and such a time. So they meet at the pool. And, um, and Tom says, look, he says, first thing you got to learn, Earl, is you got to learn to trust the water. He says, so before we're actually not going to start out teaching you to swim, we're going to teach you how to float. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just Learn about waist-deep water, right? He says, I want you to just lay down on the water. So Earl says, well, that's, that's easy enough. So he says, okay, you ready? One, two, and he go, lays down, goes right to the bottom. Boom. <laughs> and so Tom picks him up, pulls him out of the water. He says, Earl, Earl, I just said lay on the water. And Earl says, I did lay on the water. He said, no, you didn't. He says, as soon as you lay down, he said, you started kicking your feet like you had flippers on. Just lay on the water. So one, two, three, they try it again, boom, goes right to the bottom. 
Picks him up. He says, I told you, lay on the water. He said, I did lay on the water. He said, no. He said, as soon as you lay down, he goes, you were flapping your arms like a goonie bird. He said, just lay on the water. So the third time, and Dr. Rob Macker says, I'll be honest. I wasn't just frustrated. I'm angry by now. Third time, he lays him down on the water and goes right to the bottom again. And as soon as Tom brings him up, he says, don't you tell me I didn't lay on the water. He said, Earl, he goes, what's with this? What's the hand rotations for? He said, listen to me. Don't kick your feet. Don't wave your arms. Don't even rotate your wrists. Just lay down on the water. And Dr. Rodmacher says, what I said next sounded stupid even to me. I said to him, you mean just lay down on the water? <laughs> he said, yeah, just lay down on the water. So he said, I'm going to hold you like to cross your arms like, so I'm going to hold you like this, and we're going to lay you down on the water. And Tom lays him down, lays him down, and finally lets him go. And Earl said, to my utter amazement, he said, the water was right on the sides of my eyes. He said, it was right at the crest of my chin, between my chin and my lower lip. He said, but my eyes were out of the water. My mouth was out of the water. My nose was out of the water. He goes, I was floating. I was floating. He goes, I can do this. I'm floating, you know. If I could draw the obvious spiritual analogy, anyone who hopes to see God's heaven has to realize that the only way to get there is to simply lay down on Jesus Christ. Don't kick your feet. Don't flail your arms. Don't even rotate your wrist. Just lay down on Jesus Christ. And the Bible says the minute you do that, the minute you fully trust Him, just as Earl finally learned to trust the water, the minute you fully trust Christ, at that moment, the Bible says, God gives you everlasting life, eternal life, and you will never, ever perish. Or to use the metaphor a little further, if you lay down on Jesus Christ, you are absolutely guaranteed that you will never drown, spiritually speaking. You're absolutely guaranteed that Jesus will keep you afloat, not just for time, but for all Eternity, And that's good news, guys. That's really, really good news. Not just because I'm the one who gets to say it this morning, but it's really, really good news. And it's really, really great to be here this morning with you. The writer of the psalm says, The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words, O God. I entreated your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to us according to your word this morning. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. And you know, that's how you come into the Christian life, by simply laying down on Jesus, simply trusting Jesus. But you know what? As we grow, it's critical that we remember that what Jason just read in 1 John, 1 John specifically, verse 9, 19, 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first, what? Loved us, exactly. The only reason we loved him is because he loved us first. The only reason we're secure in Christ and we can never be lost is because he secured us first. And it's critical as we grow as Christians that we always keep that in mind. I'll never forget um, Christian recording artist Steve Green uh, telling me one time, I, I commended, I, I thanked him after a, a concert that he gave back in New Jersey for being so clear with the gospel. And he said, you know, Pastor, he said, I, I rehearse the gospel to myself every single day. He said, I find I need to be reminded of the grace of God 
that saved me in the first place because that's what propels me through my Christian life. That's what enables me to grow. And he's so right about that, guys. He's so right. We need, as believers, we need to be reminded of that. Do you ever sit in a group like this, and maybe you've been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years, and somebody presents the gospel, whoever it is, and it's clear, it's concise, you, you, you're like, yes, and it brings you back to the time, the time period in your life when you, came, when you first came to know Christ, and suddenly you just feel like you know, you're warm all over. If you're like me, I actually get goosebumps still to this day. I became a believer in March of 1980. I still never got over the grace of God that saved me, ever. And I hope you guys never get over it. It's the fuel that will propel us through our Christian life. One thing I've heard Pastor Jason say over and over since he's been here is, and he used Romans 117, remember it says, where the righteousness of God is revealed by, the NIV says, by faith from first to last, or some of the other versions say from faith to faith. We come into the Christian life by initially Laying down on Jesus, that's our initial breath of faith. But if we're going to grow, we got to take a lot more breaths of faith after that first one. we got to keep reminding ourselves the only reason we love Him is because He first loved us. And this morning, I want us to look at the lives of two very prominent New Testament figures, Peter and John, because I think they really illustrate uh, a difference which in some ways seems finite, or, or like a very narrow edge, but, in, but is critically important to our growth and development as believers. Um, in John 13, uh, Pastor Jason was actually looking at this with us a couple weeks back. In John 13, uh, we're, at the, we're in the upper room, what we call sometimes the Last Supper, right? And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, do all believers love the Lord with the same frequency and with the same fervency all the time? Do you think? I don't think so. That's not true in my life. I find that my, my love for the Lord, my devotion, my sensing of His presence kind of ebbs and flows, kind of comes and goes. I wish it was always up here like that, but I find it's a little bit more like the stock exchange. You know, it's a little bit more like that. And that's why it's so dangerous, guys. That's why it's so treacherous for us to begin to trust in our love for Jesus and minister out of our love for Jesus to rely on our own strength instead of His strength, our own gifting, our own abilities instead of working and growing and serving out of the power that we first came to know when we realized that we love Him because He first loved us. So our, our Christian life is somewhat up and down, I think, for all of us. And even believers, uh, our, our love ebbs and flows. So that's why it's far too treacherous a thing to really be a fuel for our growth. Uh, in Matthew Chapter 24 and verse 12, Jesus is speaking about the end times. And he says this in Matthew 24 and verse 12. He says, and because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. And he's speaking about believers there. That the times will get so bad that even the love of many believers is going to grow cold. Many will, will fall away. So our love is far too fickle, guys, to be a fuel for our Christian life and growth. 
Peter and John, both of them love the Lord. No question about it. But I think that there's a distinct uh, difference between them and, the, and at least their focus. In the upper room that night, remember Jesus comes in and uh, realizing that there was no one that was going to wash the feet of the disciples, he takes the initiative, grabs a basin and a towel, and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And when he comes to Peter, remember Peter says, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. You know, initially it's like, well, Peter, wait a minute, who knows better here what he's doing? And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Well, Lord, then not my feet only, but my hands and my head, I mean, just pour it all over me, Lord. And I think it's kind of a demonstration on Peter's part to say, you know, Lord, I love you intensely. So, yeah, if that's what it takes, then pour it on me. Give it, you know, bring it on. And then later in the supper, uh, Jesus says uh, in, in, in John's gospel, in John 13, Jesus says, uh, where I'm going, he basically tells his disciples he's going away, and he says, where I'm going, you can't follow. And Peter says, why can't I follow, Lord? And in John chapter 13, verse 37, he says, I will lay down my life for you. Wow. Very sanguine kind of statement, maybe a little overhopeful. In Matthew's version of this, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33, Matthew records that Peter went on, uh, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew's version that this night, all of you this night will stumble. All of you will fall away because of me. And Peter says in Matthew 26 and verse 33, Lord, though all fall away, I will never fall away. And it's like he's saying, Lord, I can get you. I understand that you're a little skeptical about some of these other characters here, but you can count on old Peter. They may all fall by the wayside. I'll never fall by the wayside. And then a few verses later, he actually doubles down on it. And he says, Lord, I'm willing to go to, I'm willing to die for you if necessary. And then later they leave, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, and Judas comes with the temple forces to, to take Jesus prisoner. And what does Peter do? Pulls out his sword, goes up and lops the ear, cuts the ear right off of a guy named Malchus, who was a servant of the high priest. Jesus sticks it right back on, but... Here's my point, guys. My point is this, that Peter by his words and by his actions, is saying, I am the disciple that loves Jesus. Nobody loves Jesus like I love Jesus. And I want to contrast that with John. Five times in his gospel, in the gospel of John, five different times John refers to himself, and I quote, uh, as the disciple that Jesus loves. Now, traditionally, guys, what a lot of people have uh, taken this to mean is that on a human level, Jesus and John were best buddies. <clears throat> and that's, you know, I don't want to poo-poo that. I want to, that, that is possible. I mean, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. So I think it's very possible that he would have a, a best buddy, just like, you know, a lot of guys do, most guys do. But is that, the question I want to ask this morning, is that really, inductively, is that the best interpretation of the text. Is that really what John wants to convey, that he and Jesus are best buddies? 
I would rather suggest to you that what John is saying is, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. You know the little rhyme that well, we all know? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, John can say, Jesus loves me, this I know. He himself has told me so. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. And frankly, guys, I think John is in the habit of, I don't know exactly when he came to faith. If I had to guess, I would say it was probably on the shores of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus called uh, he and his brother James. Uh, if you read the account, it's the things that or kind of between the lines are comical to me sometimes. It says, Zebedee, their father, was in the boat, and they got up and left with Jesus. <laughs> and I thought, why, is it, why are they mentioning that Zebedee's in the boat? I think it was, to me, it's almost comical. It's like Jesus says, James, John, follow me. And they're like, okay, see you, Dad. And, <laughs> and off they go. I'm guessing, this is totally a guess, that maybe that's when John came to faith. But whenever John first laid down on Jesus... I think he's in the habit of rehearsing that moment to himself all the time and saturating himself with this idea that I am the disciple that Jesus loves. Notice, uh, I'm going to pick it up in, in John chapter 13. I'm going to pick it up in verse 21. Uh, John 13, verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, who's that, guys? That's John, yeah. So he's talking about himself. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him, that is, he motioned to John, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Peter kind of leans over, John, ask Jesus who the traitor is. So Simon Peter motioned, asked, asked Jesus of whom he's speaking. So that disciple, speaking of John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Who is it? And guys, I think, I don't think that John's position or posture are incidental here. Where is John? Geographically speaking, and I don't mean Jerusalem. <laughs> He's right next to Jesus. He's as close to Jesus as he can get. That is his position. What's his posture? He's actually laying down on Jesus. And I think, guys, that his physical position and his physical posture are a picture of where John is spiritually. He want, he's as close to Jesus as he can get. That's where he wants to be and that's where he wants to stay. And he wants to lay down. He wants to recline on Jesus. He wants to trust Jesus in an ongoing way as he grows in his Christian life, just like he first trusted him back when he, when he first came to know the Lord. The disciple whom Jesus loves. And notice in verse 24, when Peter wants to know what's going on, who does he have to ask? John. <laughs> Peter doesn't know. So he has to ask John, what, what exactly is going on? Ask him who the traitor is. I want to move ahead to the second time that John refers to himself as the disciple 
whom Jesus loved. And that's at the cross. Uh, Going to jump ahead to John chapter 19 and begin at verse 25. John 19 and verse 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, who is that, guys? Thank goodness you're here. And the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the, to the disciple, to John, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Where's John, guys? Positionally, geographically, where's John? At the foot of the cross. As close to Jesus as he can be. Where's Peter? Off somewhere, like the other nine. Fearful. Hiding. No doubt, weeping bitterly. Guilt-ridden. And the reason that John is able to stand at the foot of the cross, I think is found, we've been talking about 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. The verse right before that, 1 John 4.18, says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So am I trying to say that John is perfect here? No, no, no. But what I am trying to say is that I believe that John has been perfected in love in this sense. He realizes that just as he came into the Christian life by an initial breath of faith in Christ, by initially laying down on Jesus, the only way he can grow, the only way he can serve, the only way that he can remain Fearless for the Lord is by ministering and serving in the strength of God's love for him and not in his love for God. Now, I told you it was a fine line. It is a fine line because let's face it, all of us, if you're a believer, all of us love the Lord. But there's this, there's this very narrow edge that we're walking as we go through our Christian life where, yeah, we love the Lord, but we've got to live and grow and move and work and serve, not in our love for Him, but in His love for us. We love Him because He first loved us. And Peter, on the other hand, conversely, has not been perfected in love. Peter's been ministering out of his own strength. Peter's been jumping out ahead. I mean, you know, do you think Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you think Jesus... Well, obviously he wasn't, but do you think Jesus was pleased when Peter jumps out with the sword and lops off the high priest's servant's ear? No. That's Peter, getting, that's Peter relying on self. And so when it comes to the cross, Peter's not only ashamed of his denial, which has already occurred, but he, like the other nine, is, is scared to death. Somebody could stick me on that cross right next to Jesus. John's not concerned about that at all. Because he's resting in, he's growing in, he's being nurtured by the love of God 
in Christ for him. Let's move ahead to John chapter 21. Jesus has already risen from the dead. He has already appeared. Uh, remember what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to James uh, and to John uh, and then to all 12. And Paul tells us, and he actually appeared to 500 brothers at one time. So they've all seen Jesus risen from the dead. They've seen him in his glorified state. And now the, the disciples have all migrated back up from Jerusalem. They're back up in Galilee. And let's pick up the action in uh, John 21, beginning in verse 1. <coughs> Excuse me. Nasty chest cold all week. It's <clears throat> under control this morning. Thank you, Lord. John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. <laughs> they said to him, okay, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple, verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. God, who's, who's the first one to recognize Jesus? John. Yeah. You know, going back to the, the greeting question, if I had to pick a superpower that I'd like to have, I think I'd take Spider-Man. Not because I climb walls and things like that, or, or could climb walls and things like that. But I like the idea of the spidey senses. You know, those, uh, that ability to read between the lines with what's going on and with people. Well, now I think of it, maybe I wouldn't want that. But. <laughs> but think about it here, guys. Why is it that John is the first one that says, it's the Lord? You would think when, when suddenly the net's full of fish because he told them to throw it there, that they would have all said, oh my gosh, it's the Lord. But no, they don't. The blinders are there. But John says, it's the Lord. And can I suggest that the reason John's the first one to recognize him is because John, in his intimacy with the Lord, which comes out of relying on the Lord's love for him, it comes out of a an overwhelming sense of God's grace and forgiveness and love in his life. When you live and serve like that, your spidey senses intensify. As one of my other mentors used to say, it makes you much more open and perceptive on the Godward side. You get a better spiritual reception, if I could put it that way. And I think John beats them all hands down on this. He's so attuned to the love of God, the grace of God, that he's able 
to see things and sense things and realize things that the other 12 have no clue, the other nine have no clue about, the other 10, sorry. Abiding in Jesus' love. Let's pick it up again in verse 15, John 21, verse 15. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I think Peter instantly realizes that what Jesus is saying is, remember, on, remember in the upper room? You, when I said that all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, Peter, you said, even if all the rest stumble, I will never stumble. Implicit is implicit, in, and I, I think this is what Jesus is pointing out to Peter. Implicit in that, Peter, is you are saying, Lord, I love you more than all these guys. I'll never be made to stumble. I'll never turn on you. So Jesus, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your brothers here? And he, that is Peter, said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Then he, that is Jesus, said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Tend my sheep. Then he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And I think it's very obvious here that Jesus asked three times once for each denial that Peter made the night before the crucifixion. Peter, you told me you love me more than all your brothers yet you denied me three times, so I'm going to ask you three times, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And after he asked him the third time, Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then I think he points directly to the root of the problem in Peter's life, beginning in verse 18. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And I think he's kind of pointing out, Peter, this has been a lifelong habit. You get up in the morning and you're just this self-confident bravado guy. You can lick the world. You pull your pants on and wherever your head says, I'm going today, that's where you're going today. Whatever I say, that's what I say. Whatever I do, that's what I do. You dress yourself and walk wherever you want. But Peter, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter, stop, stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in your own strength. Stop trusting in your love for me. Stop running out in front of me all the time. Follow me. And guys, I have to tell you, in my own life and even in my ministry, 
as a pastor in the past, the times that I've gotten into most trouble were the times when, in retrospect, I realized that I thought I had a good idea and I hadn't checked it out right with the Lord and man, I was running with it. And when you get out in front of God and what God wants you to be doing, that's a prescription for spiritual disaster and personal disaster. And this is Peter's breaking point. And I hope, I believe, as a matter of fact, if you, if you, if you watch Peter's life from that point on, I think he got it. I think he totally got it. He was a believer all along. He just, he just had the wrong emphasis. He wasn't understanding the truth of the fact that the only reason we love the Lord is because he loved us first. You know, this is Memorial Day weekend. And I have to tell you, until a few years ago, I never understood the difference between Memorial Day weekend and and Veterans Day. And a friend clarified it for me. It's kind of obvious, really, but I never realized it. Veterans Day is when we honor the veterans who are alive and still among us. Memorial Day is when we honor the veterans who pay the ultimate price, the veterans who gave their lives for our earthly freedom so that, frankly, so that we could be here this morning without fear of somebody storming through the doors and and incarcerating all of us. We live in a country that, for the most part, is still a free country. And we owe an incredible debt of thanks to those who gave their lives, gave the ultimate, uh, that last measure of devotion, as Abraham Lincoln put it, so that we could be free. And I would say, do something this weekend to remember those who paid the price so that we could live in a free country. But as we do that, isn't it even more important that we remember the one who gave his life so that we could be free, not just for time, but for all eternity, so that we could know that we have everlasting life, not because we're good enough, Not because we've worked hard enough, because we'll never be good enough, we can never work hard enough, but simply because we accepted a gift and we laid down on Jesus Christ and trusted him. Father, I pray this morning that your words through your very flawed servant would be real, would be relevant, and would be life-transforming in the hearts of your people. For Jesus' sake, amen.